Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, a kid lit podcast for parents, teachers, and writers. I'm Heather Kaufman-Peters. I'm the mother of one teenage boy. I'm a preschool teacher and a writer. And I'm Margie Ozimet, mom to two boys, middle school teacher, homeschooler, and writer. Welcome to Two Lit Mamas, episode 31, the one in which two lit mamas go where no two mamas have gone before. <laughs> that sounds dirty. <laughs> Oh my, all right, you nerd. So yes, nerd, we are going to start with Cleo Porter and the Body Electric by Jake Burt. And that's where we're our first trip um, into the hermetically sealed building, which scared me to death. I know, me too. It was it was too much. Um, and then I'm going to give a rundown on Weird Kid by Greg Van Eekout. And you've got to, right? Yes, I'll be discussing the Moonbase Alpha series by Stuart Gibbs. I also read The Mortification of Phobia Munson by Marianne Hader, which you've also read before. And so I can't wait to right, talk so to you about that one. About that. I so love that book. fun. Oh my God. And so anything with like disembodied heads is always good for me. I'm getting, I love that. Yeah, it was a good awesome. One. All right. So sci fi, that's this is us. This is like totally us. I know. This it's is like my heart, my heart. <laughs> right. And I have to say, I if I had to pick any genre, it would probably be like my second after fart jokes, because fart <laughs> jokes is always my first pick, which is why Weird Kid was like the per his dad was a proctologist. And I'm like, you had me oh, at proctologist. Hello. <laughs> you had me a butt doctor. But um I have to say I love sci-fi, but I did not. You're much nerdier. Like you've been in the mm -hmm. sci-fi world a lot longer than I have. Mm -hmm. I think my nerds kind of come along with age and yeah. children. Um, but what are you, Star Wars or Star Trek? <sighs> you have to pick. There's only one choice. Oh, okay. You have to choose. That's like asking me to choose between two children, which yeah, I that's have... a good thing you only have one. <laughs> I know I only have one. I have I love all my babies equally, even though I only have one. But for this reference, Star anything science between fiction. joy and your son. Yeah, between <laughs> I can't I can't choose between those two. That would not happen. So I mean, for me, Star Wars, because they're totally different. Star Wars, I know like it's this, really awakening to the call of adventure and all this really cool stuff. I remember when I first watched it, I was just like blown away. Rebel. It like, it yes. like it, it, it appealed to your rebel heart back in the seventies and eighties. Oh my first gosh. Came out, didn't it? Me too. Right. Yes. And mm -hmm. oh, by the way, we went and saw the star Wars world at Disney, at Hollywood cool? studios. So freaking cool. The two, two rides that we went on were amazing, but the one big ride, the rise of the resistance I don't want to ruin it for anyone because it's pretty freaking amazing, but they have, they talked to you like you're rebels. And it was so funny because it almost, it triggered like my fight or flight reflex and I was getting like mouthy. Oh, cool. And so then the other one option you're talking about is Star Trek. And for me, Which I love that was, oh my gosh, I, it appealed to my love of like learning and of science and anthropology. The whole other world. Love it. It's a perfect it. world. Yes. Okay. So what about you? Well, okay. See, first of all, I'm going to go to Doctor Who. He's uh, always sure. going to be my first love. Third because, option. Third right. Option. Doctor Who. I, I mean, Doctor Who, I, but you know, I would watch it periodically on public television when I was a kid, because that's the only way you could get it. And I was like, eh, I wasn't really that into it because I really did love Star Wars as a kid. But then when, when I had my first son and we were stuck in Turkey and we lived in, we lived in this, um, at the, at the water treatment plant, we had to live in company <laughs> housing and we got like once a day, we got one channel every day from, that was the BBC. And that's when they brought back, they brought it back onto the BBC. They started all over again with the new, um, Dr. Who and, 
it was like life changing for me. And he and I would sit there and watch it like glued to it. And it was, I mean, and that was, I can't remember what that guy's name was because he only made like one season. Oh, the reboot, that the more recent reboot. Right. Like 2008, 2007, 2008, right in there or 2009, whatever it is. With Rose and all that. Yes. Yes. And I loved Rose and I'm like, oh my God, then I got it. Like it clicked in and and they, you know, like when you see things on the BBC right out of England versus when we get them on like BBC America, things are longer. They are more frequent. You get more episodes and everything. Mm -hmm. So I just, I don't know. I totally fell in love with it then. And now that we have a woman doctor, I'm totally down. Me too. I love her. Not that I have, I mean, I'd love them all in between. Yes. There've been some amazing doctors. Yeah. I still have a doctor as my screensaver on my computer. I I won't say which one's my favorite, but Oh, David Tennant. Who, who doesn't? <laughs> who doesn't say that? Everyone, everyone. I mean, David Tennant is everyone's favorite doctor, isn't he? He's a yeah. he's like the best of all time. Yeah. But. Well, I have to say, I do love me a good timey wimey science fiction show. So there you go. And it's British, so that is a good one too. And then I would have to say, um, then I would say Star Wars, then Star Trek. But I'll take I, I'll take a Star Trek rerun anytime. And my yeah. kids have gotten into it too because I'm like, come on, you guys, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. I don't like I like the older ones better though. I don't like I do like Worf. Like those those like late '90s ones are okay, but I kind of prefer some of the earlier oh, ones. I love Jean Luc Picard. Yeah. I haven't watched any of the movies though. The newer movies. Have you? Any of the oh late- yeah. Uh, of course I- I've watched everything. I even watched, there's a new Picard has his own new Yes. Show. Yes. So good. So I good. have them all saved. I'm like, I have them all like, what do you put them in the library or whatever as they come on? I have them all saved. I just, that's the problem when you have two children and uh, everything else. Yeah. I never have time to watch it unless they'll watch it with me and they'll always watch Star Wars with me. So, and my older one will always watch the doctor. Aww. He loves it. Like one time he was like, this is so dorky, mom. This is so dorky. And the next thing, you know, I turn around and he's like enthralled and he's done. And now he'll be like, is it a new season yet? And then every Christmas we watch the marathon. Wow. We are really massive nerds. <laughs> There's no doubt. We own it. We do. As I sit here, I'm literally sitting here in my Wonder Woman shirt with my Wonder Woman coffee mug. (laughs) I see it. All right. So let's get even nerdier and talk about our books. I think that's awesome. Good call. All right. Let's get started. All right. So for this first episode, we're taking a look at a few different sci-fi options for middle grade nerds in our life. So our first one we're going to talk about is Cleo Porter and the Body Electric by Jake Burt. This book scared me. (laughs) 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 This book. Okay. So what's really weird about this whole book is that it came out in October of 2020. So just last fall. However, it was actually written. If you remember people, I don't know if you remember, but we had a pandemic last year, which is still raging, but apparently we've forgotten about it. Yeah. So um, anyway, like right in the middle of a pandemic, this book was coming out and it's about people after a pandemic kind of like sealing themselves away so they can't ever be harmed again. The scary part about this whole book is that it was actually written like two years before that, because the publishing process takes a long time. I did read an article um, or or like a question answer with Jake Burt. And he said he did get to go back in and make some sort of um, what he called them like COVID friendly edits in the midst before it came out, like some final edits that were kind of uh, to make it a little more 
palatable since we were in the middle of it would be coming out in the midst of a pandemic. And he said he kind of his goal was to make it more of an adventure that would let kids see they could survive a pandemic and survive the isolation that came along with it, which I think he definitely was successful with that. Yeah. Um, but that's just to give it a little time and place. So this is about Cleo Porter, Cleo Porter and the body electric, which it took me a really long time to figure out the body electric was actually she was figuring out that the whole system worked like a body. And when she applied her knowledge of the uh, of anatomy to it, then she could solve her problems. Cleo's a 12 year old budding surgeon like her mother, but like the rest of society, she lives like in a her hermetically sealed apartment building where all of her, me- this is so sad, but all of her needs were met via computer screen or the simulator or a delivery tube. They don't even have doors. Mm-mm. Isn't that creep me out? They don't even have doors because everything they need can come through the delivery tube. Hello, well, they didn't Amazon. Even have windows or anything? No, they didn't even know what the outside looked like. Which I guess is probably also to keep them inside because if you saw what was outside, you wouldn't know. But they thought like their visions of being outside was what they did in the simulator, and they would go into like a, a full simulator that you know they could zip themselves into basically and see dirt and or see grass, feel the grass, feel the wind, feel all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it was kind of weird, but it was, it was really cool, but it was also kind of weird. So her father is actually a scientist that helps them make the simulator simulator more realistic. So that's, that was his job. And her mother is a surgeon, but she only can operate and do, do anything via drone. So, you know, she flies the drone from one place into that person's home or wherever it is, performs the surgery via drone from her own home. It was so whacked. Mm-hmm. I think it was just so much more whacked because it's basically, you know, there's so much realistic components because that's how we lived for a while, you know? Mm-hmm. So the, her main company is her companion, Cleo's main company is her companion, Miss Vane, and that's her AI companion and sort of like her nanny that's with her on a, basically a tablet, right? And a teacher, nanny and a teacher. It's her nanny, it's her teacher, it's her friend, it's her, I mean, everything. She kind of does everything. It's basically like a parent to her. Mm-hmm. So, which is also weird because I'm like, well, you wouldn't really have to parent your kid because they can't go anywhere. You never have to right. worry about take, they can't go outside. They can't get hurt. They can't do anything. So it's kind of weird. Um, so one day this delivery comes to the tube. It's not for Cleo. It's not for Cleo's family. It's for someone she doesn't know. And Cleo, because she's been studying for these medical exams, even though she's only 12, just to progress her training further, she um, realizes that this is like a, a really important medicine to um, kind of cut down spinal swelling or swelling of the brain. And without this, someone would die in a matter of days. So she decides that she has to get that to the the woman. And um no one's ever been outside their apartment. Even if they fly like between apartments, once they get married, you come in a little drone, they put you in a pod. No one's ever left their apartment, but Cleo decides that she's going to do it. And that's what happens. And I thought it was really cool. I, so I have cool. to say it was, um, it was an inter- It was such a great concept. I don't know though, if I would have felt the same way about the book, had we just not been through a pandemic. I think that actually the pandemic is a huge selling point for this book. What do you think? Yes and no, but I also felt like because of the actual pandemic, it was making some statements about being so afraid that you never leave your home. 100%, yes. But I felt like, okay, but there's also some argument for doing that right now in a way to keep yourself safe. So this is post-pandemic though in the book. They're like like 50 years post-pandemic. Right. That's the only thing. So he's exaggerated it out and said- And time has made them more and more and more and more afraid. Because it also being hermetically sealed into a 1300 square foot space or whatever, each family, then you're getting rid of 
a lot of other diseases. There's I would no- shoot them all if I was in that space. So <laughs> could you imagine? <laughs> but there's like no flu. There's no right. accidents. There's no, I mean, I suppose there could be still accidents in your home, but like there's, yeah, there's just so much death that was eliminated by this that it was hard for them to then go back to living normally after the fact. So it was interesting. But there was only also a small part of the population left. So that was the whole point of sealing them up because to sort of save humanity, because what else do we do? Right. Because yeah, I mean, this we're talking this, this pandemic had killed millions and millions and millions of people. Uh, so I do think it was interesting. I mean, this is the thing about science fiction, right? It, it takes kind of where we are currently and Play exaggerates it out in the future of what it could be if we continue, you know, like with a a narrow focus and just exaggerates it out into the future to see what that would look like. But we weren't there when he wrote it. That's what's so genius about this. I mean, now taking that, looking back where we were and heightening it would be easy. But man, that's amazing. Like we weren't there. This was none of that. We hadn't been stuck in our homes yet, though, by that point where he was when he had written this book. We hadn't all been quarantining. I mean, in mass. Right. There is historical precedent for this, though. I mean, that's yeah, but this what they is some did. Na- Nostradamus crap going on in here, girl. Let <laughs> me tell you. With the computer screen teachers and everything. It was, I was like, hello. I thought it was interesting, too, in a way, because he sort of also emphasized how much technology would advance if everyone was sealed in their apartments. And, it, and that was definitely apparent during this pandemic that we actually experienced, mm-hmm. because look at Zoom, look at all these ways that people quickly advance technology in order for us to still communicate, to still live our lives, to still be mm-hmm. able to function in a society and have interactions with people outside your home. So yeah, I mean, I thought that was really interesting the way that he, that that sort of advanced with the idea of the pandemic, the advanced technology too, in the story, which was really, yeah, it was very cool. Just like the drone technology that basically they saw as saving their lives because it allowed just the droids to be interacting with the outer world while they could be in their space. Yeah. Basically hands up, but it was also gave me a whole, and again, here we go again, because uh, somehow whenever we talk about creepy, scary things, they always come back to Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg, but um, it (laughs) it did like, it was that whole sort of like, well, a, like the humans were gone. Like the AI was in control and that creeped me out. I was like, this is very much like what Elon, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg keep fighting about is what's happening in this book about how you can't give AI this much power because you can't control them and then they control you. And that's what's happening in the book, which I thought was fabulous. And then AI can't, cannot understand the difference between a human and a non-human item, which again, I thought was fabulous because that's mm-hmm. exactly true. Um, and I just thought like, the fact that the drones were all different shapes and sizes and they had all different jobs and they only did their jobs. Oh, I just loved that part. I just thought that was all really cool. I I also think one thing about this story that was really good is it's very like accessible and it is an adventure story. So it doesn't get bogged down in like the science or the science fiction aspects of it. It just Mm -mm. feels it. And in fact, it almost reminded me of Amari 
the the Amari. Oh, book. okay, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just, just even though that's like a fantasy story, it it kind of felt I don't know. It just felt like an adventure. Like it, it was an adventure story, and then it had, but it was set in a science, you know, futuristic world where yeah. science, you know, a science yeah. fiction world, which was pretty cool. But it was also about just being true to yourself and having confidence in your own voice and. Yeah. Very, very good. I thought it was a great story. The one thing that I would say if I were, if I had the luxury of time, which I never have had in once in my life as a teacher, but if I did, I think this would be a great read aloud if you're, because sixth graders study the anatomy of the body. And I think that the different, the digestive tract and the, um, all the, you know, respiratory tract, everything, uh, this would be a great read aloud to a classroom. If you, when you're, when you're studying that unit, because the understanding of anatomy helps Cleo to figure things out. And it would really help. I think it would help kind of reinforce that and see it from a fantasy or sort of sci-fi point of view too. how that it all works in other aspects as well. So it'd be a great, it's a great teaching tool. It would be a great teaching tool. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of science and anatomy in this book, but not in a way that felt preachy or teachy or something. It was just really fascinating. Oh, no, it was just logical because she was figuring it out. I felt like it was really easily done. Mm-hmm. Whew, that was a good one. All right. So that was a really good one. That was one winner so far. Uh, and now you have Waste of Space, right? By yeah. Stuart Gibbs. Okay. I've seen this book so many times and it's always on my to-be-read list, but I never had time. They have really great covers too. They have the best covers yeah. and they all met. I, the spy version, the spy series, all of them. I love them. Go ahead. Tell us about well, it. Like you just said, okay. Stuart Gibbs is well-known author of the spy school series. I think there's like nine of those books now or something like that. Wow. But, really? Yeah. And so this is a little bit, maybe a little bit lesser known is his Moonbase Alpha yeah. series. And that includes Space Case. This is the first book. Spaced Out is the second book and Waste of Space is the third book. And we've talked before about how books now are often a mashup of like several categories and make in order to make them kind of fresh and new. And this series covers several genres. All three books are basically a cozy mystery. <gasps> yeah. Really? Yeah. Sci-fi. And then I would even throw in their realistic fiction, a mashup of those three things. So each book has a mystery that the main character, 12-year-old Dash, has to solve. Like in the first one, someone is murdered. In the second one, someone goes missing. And then the third book, there's an attempted murder. And all of these mysteries take place on the moon. Ah. A small group of people have been recruited to live on Moon Base Alpha for three years as an experiment, like for humanity, see if they can live, you know, on the moon. In a hermetically sealed building, surviving with drones. Yeah, pretty (laughs) much. How very Bezos of you. Thank you, Jeff Bezos, part two. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So Dash and his family, which include his mother, his father, and his little sister are part of this group. Um, The story isn't set that far in the future, kind of like the 2040s, I think it is. And so most of the setting is very recognizable to like current readers. Like, for example, NASA is in charge of the mission. Many of the experiments that they're doing on the base are common ones like you might read about on the International Space Station and things like that. And because of that, I feel like this story really reads almost like realistic fiction. And it has a lot of the tropes of realistic fiction, like bullies and, you know, family friend struggles and all that kind of stuff. But then it just has like an alien thrown in on top of it. Like, okay, that's cool. I like that. (laughs) Yeah. So I think this series would be actually be a really great way to introduce kids who prefer realistic 
realistic fiction, get them introduced to the genre of science fiction just because of that, because it's very grounded in the science that we understand today. It has all those rec- recognizable tropes of realistic fiction that they would, you know, they would get out of it. So, and then plus the cozy mystery on top of it is pretty. Well, fun. you know, I'm yeah. always down for that. What do you think though? Like age wise, do you say lower middle, upper middle? I would say this is solid middle, middle. Okay. Cause this is totally selfish. I'm like, Ooh, would this be good bedtime stories for my little nugget and I, or no? Uh, I don't know for nugget. Okay. Cause this too, might be too much. Mostly because the main characters, angsty, angsty. We already have one of those in my house, so we don't need that. So that's good. Good heads up on that. (laughs) (laughs) To me, that's like part of realistic fiction is that sort of angsty teenager attitude. So, um, but anyway, so for the podcast, I read Waste of Space, which is the last book in the series. It came out in 2018. Uh, In this book, there's a problem with the base's oxygen system. So everybody's kind of already on edge. And then a billionaire who bought his way onto the moon base. Yep. (laughs) That's recognizable to current readers, especially since all the tech billionaires right now have their own basic NASA's that they're creating. Uh Um, So anyway, uh, the billionaire bought his way on his way and his family's way onto this moon base. He ends up poisoned. He's saved in time, but it seems that someone on the base could be a potential murderer. So the commander of the base asks Dash to quietly look into it because in the first two books, he has solved cases, you know, in these previous books. So then Uh, the commander kind of leans into him, even though he's 12. Well, you only have a limited number of people on the moon base. So you got to go with what works. Exactly. So she's using her resources and she knows he's good at solving cases. So she tells everyone else that the poisoning was an accident and then asks him quietly to look into it to see if it was something more. Because they know she knows it was something more. So it did take me a little while to get into this book just because, you know, how I feel about realistic fiction. Yeah. (laughs) But it is, I mean, because there's some, like I said, angst and bullying and all that stuff. But in the end, I was like fully invested. I enjoyed this book. There was an alien throw in, in, which I really loved. I really wanted more of the alien, honestly, because it kind of felt like uh, just its own little storyline that was somewhat of an afterthought, but it was really cool. And maybe in the first books, there's more of a connection there. But in the end of this story, which this is the third book and the last book in the series, there's a very cool ending with the alien and everything. And I just loved all of that. I really enjoyed that part. I thought it was great. Yeah. So, I mean, just like I said, I think this would be great for a reluctant science fiction reader just because mm-hmm. it's got that mystery angle to it. It's got, it's recognizable. The science is recognizable, everything, all the characters in it, very current. Um, so yeah, it was, it was fun though. I, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Did you feel like, like, since it's the end of the three part series, did you feel like it had like a nice little bow on top at the end and yes. you're satisfied? hundred cool. percent. Sometimes you don't, you know what I mean? Like sometimes you're like, oh, I, I could use some more. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Cause it even has that little happy, like Harry Potter ending where they project into the future when they're all adults and stuff. Oh, I love yeah, that. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, oh. really awesome. Really satisfying ending. So yeah, I loved it. And in fact, after I finished it, I ca- I went back and I was like, I really want to read the other ones now. So I did get the other ones. I, I want to read the Spy School ones. I've been, I, they have been, like I said, they've been on my list for a long time and I just never gotten around to it. Yeah, Stuart Gibbs is a pretty reliable author. Yeah. A lot of people like him. And I definitely think, eh, I mean, not always a boy book author author, but I, I think that uh, boys... It's okay. We can have boy book authors. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I forgot. You're in search of them. Yes. Remember, we're on the uh, testosterone revolution for young books, middle grade books. Yeah, this one definitely... I mean, the main character, he has 
his one of his best friends on the base is a girl, and then he has his little sister. So there are girl characters in the book, but really it's him. I mean, it's all about him and him solving the crime. So, but yeah, so there are so many elements with the science and the crime solving and the alien part, space, yeah, I mean. and being in space, and all of that felt very realistic of what it would actually be like to live on a moon base, you know, where they have to put on their, their astronaut gear to go outside and all this stuff and, and things that could go wrong on a, on a moon base and all that stuff. Yeah. It was very realistic. So it was pretty cool. I would do it. Would you live on the moon base? Yeah. Heck yeah. I wouldn't go to Mars. That's too far. It's like the difference between like going to Jersey versus like going to live in like Beijing. (laughs) Like I'd go live in Jersey, but I'm not going to go like live in Beijing. Because that's just too far. I don't want to have to go that far. It's a long travel. And where am I going to pee in the eight months it takes me to get there? Just P.S. Just saying. That was one funny thing in this story, too. Like space toilets were talked about quite a bit. Which I thought was pretty funny. Oh, see, you know I love that. That's I'm all over that. Yeah. I love poop jokes, farts, toilets. <laughs> I'm so, I'm just a 12-year-old trapped in an old lady body. Speaking of uh, poop jokes, can you, you want to talk about Weird Kid next? Oh, my God. I... Absolutely. 1000% loved this book so much. It is so good. It is. Okay. So it's a weird kid by Greg Van Eekhout. Van Eekhout. Okay. Uh, Anyway, we're just going to call him Greg. And because of that, we're going to sit on your porch and Franzia you because we haven't done that for a while. And and you really deserve it because this is a fabulous book. So this book just came out last month in 2021, um, in July of 2021. It is absolutely, first of all, his name is Jake Wind and his dad's a proctologist. Wind, proctologist. Oh. <laughs> okay. So he's got a very normal mother, but he has this like weirdo father who's always like make, but he's a funny one because he's always making fart jokes and poop jokes and stuff like that. Like, for example, I have to say, like, there's this woman, the scientist that comes and they're having a sinkhole problem. And she says to the father, like, have you been up close to any holes lately? And he's like, <laughs> The father starts giggling. I'm like, this is hilarious. This is this is exactly what I need in a book. So this book um, is about Jake. And Jake is <laughs> Jake is a shape-shifting alien. And he started life as a ball of goo that his parents found in a field. Um, and because, you know, like middle school is not already bad enough. He's finding um, Superman, basically. Like pretty much. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yes. But he's a goo ball. He's just a goo ball. <laughs> But he's like morphed into a kid and he's been fine, except for now it's in middle school and he's having problems. So like if someone suggests something to him, he'll, that will happen. Like he was in the mall and somebody said, oh, you're smiling from ear to ear. And literally like his smile took over his half of his face and went from ear to ear and almost like killed an old man. So idioms are killing the alien. <laughs> exactly. And it's so funny because he's like Cliches. like something about a bird. Somebody mentioned something about a bird and he's like, his like mind gets sidetracked and all of a sudden his hand starts to turn into a bird. And he's hit this point where he can't control his shape shifting i mean what more can you (laughs) like it's already i was like i'm so in i'm so in so he's trying to lay low and he's trying to just like get by and then all of a sudden agnes comes in and agnes is a new girl in town and his mom and her mom had actually met at the gym and bonded and decided that they would be friends but they actually had bonded at school the same day because Agnes is like this really, really badass girl who is into this comic book character called Night Kite. And um, so is Jake. But the difference is, it's like Jake likes to read the comic books, but Agnes has decided to become Night so Kite. And like she's that role play, huh? No, no, no. She's like training. Oh. Like she's doing push ups while she reads her biology and she's like learning how to repel off of her roof and all of the things that like Night Kite can do. 
Agnes has decided to learn how to do. So she's like immediately one of your favorite characters you've ever read in a book that she's just the tough girl and you love her. And he's a goo ball. He's still a goo ball. So one day they're having lunch with their stale chicken nuggets and a sinkhole comes out and in the sinkhole, they find goo. And Jake is like, "Uh Oh, I know what that is. That looks vaguely familiar, but Agnes decides that she's going to sample it and she's going to explore it in her lab, in her bedroom, because that's what night kite does. And um, they find out that it's actually linked to Jake. And there is an organization in the town that is also trying to, capitalize of course capitalize on the goo because the goo can shape shift and they could make the goo into like money or whatever to make money off of it uh, so it's now it's up to agnes and jake to protect the town and also get rid of the bad doctor at her lab jake starts to learn how to control his shape shifting because agnes coaches him through it and how to help him learn how to shape shift but ultimately he's got to use his powers to shape shifting and also try to keep Agnes safe because she's not an alien and sort of save the whole town. It was a great book. It was just such a great book. It's really short too. It's like 200 pages, which is pretty short Mm -hmm. for a middle grade book. So it's so perfect for like, especially like I could see either any reluctant reader for one, because even though Jake is the weird kid and he is the main character, Agnes is also very important to the whole story. And she's so awesome that I mean, like my nugget and I are reading at a bedtime and he really likes it. And he's really mad that I finished it without him. But um, I told him we would we would keep reading. But so he and he's eight and he thinks it's a really funny story. It's just a great, great read and a reluctant reader with the sci fi elements and the humor elements and these two really, really likable characters and totally like Agnes makes a mess of things trying to fix things. Jake is a mess constantly. He's like, you know, he's like shape shifts and he's like, oh, my God, what happened to me? And he's like, ends up becoming a seal in the middle of the mall or something ridiculous, you know, that you can't help but love them both. So it's such a great book because the characters are so likable. You keep reading because you want to see what happens. And it's totally digestible for a a kid that's maybe not a great reader or doesn't have the attention span to get through a big, heavy sci-fi book. It's a great book. I I give it like 500 thumbs up because at one point Jake needed extra thumbs. So he just shapeshifted and made some. I love it. I would like that. I'd like to be able to do that. I'd like to have several arms. That'd be nice. Right? (laughs) I would like to shapeshift myself into like Cindy Crawford's body just for like a few days. I want to know what it's like, A, to be skinny and B, to be tall. What's that like when you can reach things? That's got to be fun. It's got to be exciting. P.S. Speaking of short... Yesterday, we were at the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Massachusetts, because that's what my children make me do. And um, do you remember Muggsy Bugs, Muggsy Boggs, Bugs, whatever you say, how you say his last name? He was the tiniest NBA player from back in the 90s. He was really small. Oh, no, I don't. Okay. He was this little tiny NBA player. Um, and I always thought he was like really small. Like I thought, oh, this man must be like really, really tiny. Yeah, he's my height because I got to stand right next to a same size, you know, cut out of him. And I'm like, and my husband's like, look at he's short like you. Oh, my goodness. Funny. Yeah, because you think short, short, not us short. Because you Our see, it, yes, I was like, he must be like four foot five. He was so tiny. No, no, he, he was five, four. <laughs> that was funny. It was good. It was good. 
Yeah. So it's a great book. It's a really great book. And you can shape your, shape yourself into anything when you're done. Love it. Awesome. All right. Let's talk about, how do you say her first name? Fovia. Fovia. All right. Let's talk about Fovia Munson. Okay. So The Mortification of Fovia Munson by Mary Wynn Hader came out in 2018. It's about a seventh grader who's been bestowed the unfortunate nickname of Igor by her classmates when the secret gets out that her parents, who are both doctors, run a cadaver lab filled with body parts for use in training doctors for surgery. So Phobia had spent most of middle school distance, distancing herself from her from the lab, from her parents' careers. I hear that, sister. I know. And their morbid body pun filled sense of humors, which her parents, by the way, are fantastic. They're hilarious. Yes, they are. Um, but when her summer camp plans fall through, she's stuck helping out at the lab where she meets, quote unquote, meets three disembodied heads who were put out to thaw. So the heads who weren't finished living, according to them. Which is what I love. I know. Ask her to help them complete a very important mission. And that's when the craziness really begins. Uh, Hint, it involves a barbershop quartet. (laughs) With other headless people. Yeah. I Okay. First of all, this is, I just think that like everything about this so far is absolutely brilliant. Yes. I loved it's fast paced. It's a quick read. Um, again, this book is a wonderful mashup of science fiction and comedy. Yes. It is hilarious. It's just quirky. There's nothing about it that is really based in reality. It's just hilarious. No, but all the characters are so lovable. Like you, even the heads. Yes. <laughs> You know what? I One of the things I really loved about this book, too, is the nod to the very first science fiction novel, Frankenstein. Um, you know, medical science fiction was at the very beginning of science fiction genre. So I just loved this. Uh, I mean, it felt like a tribute, really, to the first science fiction story. And this is Mary Hader's debut novel. Yeah. She actually spent time working as a receptionist at a cadaver lab. That's what inspired the book. Well. I have to say, you can tell I that. know, which I think is interesting because there is a receptionist in the story. And I felt like, oh, that's cool. She wrote herself into the story. Well, and, and I love the receptionist yes. in the story. P.S. She's a hot mess. And I, I love know, her. Me too. I love her so she much. She's a mess. I love it. I, I just have to say, though, after my dad died, my mother remarried a mortician when, when I was about the same age as Phobia. And we had to do all of that duties. We had to, we all had to work and I had to work in the funeral home, had to deliver bodies and do all those things. That being said, when I first read this book, I'm like, whoever this is has been through the trauma of this because you just don't get the quirkiness and the funny. It's so funny. Like it is one of the funniest jobs in the world working with dead people and dead bodies. And if you have to change your perspective so much to get through it, that you're constantly cracking up. And that's exactly what this book shows you. Like, you know, you see it's a, it's a pardon the pun disembodied. Well, I mean, to deal with the gruesomeness of it, you have to yeah, right. be lighthearted about it. Yeah. I love this book. I thought it was so funny. Mm-hmm. And the thing about this book that I think is really important is we read a lot of books and I read a ridiculous amount of both middle grade and upper grade books or whatever. I remember this one yeah. so vividly and I read it in 2018 when it first came out. So vivid. I love a book that sticks with yeah, you like that. It definitely is not like anything I've read before. No, uh-uh. Not at yeah, all. And it's pretty unexpected too. I mean, it, it has a very co- comedic mm-hmm. voice throughout the whole thing, but at the beginning, you're not quite sure where it's going. And then it just dives in like head first. I mean, it is just 
total submersion in the comedy and the crazy characters. I mean, I could easily see this being a movie. Oh, it'd be great, right? It's well, and I think Disney published it, so I'm sure it probably will be a movie at some point. Awesome. No, I I I am when you said you were reading that, I was like, yeah. Oh my gosh. Someone else. And I was I'm glad that you liked it because I thought, you know, maybe the talking heads and like literally carrying around the heads and bags and things like she has to do to get them to places they need to go and she has to keep them cold and you know, like whatever. I thought that maybe that was just I enjoyed it so much because I could relate to it. And I'm glad it's not. No, just I loved it. Really it. And I don't normally like gross things, but I don't, there is something about grossness in science fiction stories that seems more like, I don't know, like you can just accept it better. Like it's funny. Yeah. Like I don't like gruesome, like war stories or things like that, but, but like, yeah, give me kind of a gross science fiction story and I'm all in. I love it. So yeah, it was well, fun. This is, yeah, definitely. It. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Put that one on your list listeners. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, I really enjoyed Cleo Porter, um, but I definitely think my favorite of the ones I read was The Mortification of Phobia Munson, for sure. And I think that would appeal to any kid. Oh, yeah. There's no gender attached to that at all, because it's just so weird. (laughs) Yeah. And I don't even know that there's an age. I don't know. I guess everybody knows what their kid, how morbid their own kid is, if they'll think it's funny or if they'll be freaked out by it. I know my kids would think it's funny because they are freaks. Yeah. My my (laughs) son would have thought it was hilarious too. He Anything irreverent like that, I think is, you know, middle schoolers love that kind of stuff. Yeah, I agree. That's awesome. Woo! That was a whirlwind. Those were four epic yes, books. I had a good time. All right. So uh, I guess we're going to take a quick break now and we'll be back with our pick six, our all time greatest science fiction short stories for kids. Okay, so for our pick six, we are going to talk about some short stories that are awesome in the sci-fi genre. And the reason that short stories work so well with kids is because sometimes they just don't have it in them to hold their attention. But more importantly, in a classroom setting or a homeschool setting or any kind of teaching setting, you can get a lot done with a short story in a short amount of time, much more than you can get done with a full epic novel or a full, you know, even a small novel. It takes a long time to get through it for a lot of kids. So short stories are where it's at, especially with sci-fi. I want to say too, just to jump in on that really quick. Um, when my son started homeschooling as a freshman, I was a little bit nervous because I noticed like most of his English classes, they just did short stories. They didn't really do a lot of novels. Mm-hmm. Maybe they would do one novel for the whole year. And that kind of bothered me because obviously, you know, I'm all about novels. But after... Uh, reading a bunch of short stories again, I'm like, oh, I get it now. I totally get it. You can get just as much out of a short story as you can out of a novel, and you can talk about uh, cover so many more genres that way. Yeah, have more, much more dis- time for discussion that way. So in depth, break it apart. Yeah, so yeah. I'm all in on it now. I was worried about it first. I get it. I totally get it, hundred percent. So yeah, and as from a teaching standpoint, I have used short stories when I taught science. It, it great ways to back things up, especially. Um, sci-fi. We, it's a great way as a science teacher to kind of bring in an interdisciplinary approach. I've used it a lot. I'm using it right now as an ESL teacher to kind of help 
just for what you just said, to be able to tackle more understanding of the language, um, it's a little more digestible, to be able to break it into pieces and, and um, analyze it. It's, it's a, you can actually have more of a sense of accomplishment by reading a small story right. than, you know, if you're, if you're only seeing, especially if, if you only see the kids for a little bit of time each week. So, um, and I've used them when I taught theater, I've used them. Yeah. I've used them in pretty much every subject. There's always something, but here we go. We're going to give you our favorites. What do you All got right. first? So I totally went down a rabbit hole with this when you, of course you did. <laughs> I knew you would. I read so many science fiction short stories. It was crazy. I, it was I should definitely do that more often is all I can say. I It was an enjoyable way to spend an afternoon. I just ha- went on and on and on and on. It was so fun. So anyway, my three picks are a little bit darker. <laughs> awesome. But, um, I remember that when my kid and his cousins and even some of the kids in my writers groups that I've run were are in middle school, they loved dark stories. Like my son loved Creepypasta and Mr. Nightmare, which are like these auto audio storytelling programs that you can find online. Ooh. Creepypasta does fiction stories. Mr. Nightmare is supposed to be quote unquote true scary stories. He and like his, his cousins, they would all listen to these at night before bed. And I'd be like, how do you go to sleep after that? And they're like, that's so great. We love it. So I know that middle schoolers are totally fine with dark stuff. So I just went all in with this. Okay. So my first short story is called The Fermi Paradox is Our Business Model by Charlie Jane Anders. Charlie Dane, Jane is a contemporary sci-fi writer who's also the ho- co-host of my favorite ah, podcast. Ah, yes. Our opinions are correct. Um, Anders also has a new YA book out called Victories Greater Than Death. And I haven't read it yet, but it just sounds like so much fun. But this short story really captured my imagination. It is funny. It is relevant. I think it's a great jumping off point for talking about capitalism and humanity. Um, first, I should probably explain what the Fermi paradox is just so we all know what we're talking about here. The Fermi paradox is named after a physicist, and it's about the contradiction between the lack of evidence for extraterrestrial life and the estimates for their probability, like the high estimates for their probability. For example, there are a billion stars in the Milky Way, similar to our sun, and they have a high probability that these stars might have an Earth-like planet in their solar system. Many of these stars, um, and of course their planets, are older than our sun. And so they have civilizations, then those civilizations, which are much older than ours, should have maybe developed interstellar travel because we're already approaching that point in our evolution. But if they had, they would have visited us, but there's zero evidence for that. Busy, very busy. So basically, it's just this huge paradox that statistically, there should be life out there, but we have zero evidence for it to that it exists. I told you, I listened to a whole thing on this NPR and it made me cry. Oh, yeah. So, so sad that they couldn't find us or that they're really, that they should be there, but yet it's not. Right. So the Fermi paradox is our business model attempts to explain this in a very tongue in cheek way by showing that aliens exist, but they are waiting for our civilization to destroy itself first so they can swoop in and collect our inventions, our technology and our resources. 
Ah, yeah. In the aftermath of our destruction, because, uh, duh, it's easier than developing it themselves. So they're just waiting out there. Well, we're very close. They won't have to wait much longer. (laughs) I know, right? We're getting there. So the aliens in this short story are described in a way that I think middle schoolers would love. They throw up a lot for starters. Always a win. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and they survive like thousands of years by being in the, in sleep mode, basically. And so it's really fascinating. So the beginning of this story starts with them coming out of sleep mode, expecting Earth civilization to be destroyed. And then what happens when it's not? And it, it's it's just hilarious. I think this short story would be a great uh, way to spark like discussion, not only about the Fermi paradox, of course, which is really fascinating, but capitalism, where humanity is headed. And where would we find it? Where can we find it? You can get it online and I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes for it. Perfect. Um, I read it on tour.com, which T-O-R.com. They have a ton of short story science fiction stuff. So you can find a lot of stuff there. All right. My second story is called Kin by Bruce McAllister. This short story became super popular after LeVar Burton picked it for his new podcast. Of course he did. LeVar Burton Reads, which I highly, highly recommend. Cannot recommend it enough. The internet has been begging him to do like a reading rainbow for grownups. And this is it, people. So if you've been wanting is it, it really, yeah, is it good? Oh, it's so good. It is so good. And I mean, the production quality, it's amazing. And they're short, you know, episodes, he's reading short stories and oh my gosh, it's so good. I can't. He's the hero we all I need. I love him. LeVar Burton is our, like our generation's Mr. Rogers. So true. Oh my gosh. You're so right. So for the very first episode of his podcast, he read Kin by Bruce McAllister. It's a story of a 13-year-old boy who wants to hire an alien assassin to kill a man in the government who has sanctioned the the death of his baby sister. I am all on board. (laughs) So in this one... I I would like to have that too. I don't have a sister though. Don't even need that part. Still motivates me the same way. Go on. So in this world, there's um, overpopulation and in order to control, you know, because of limited resources and all that, the boy's family were unable to get permission to have a second child. So this baby girl that's on the way is going to have to be aborted. Uh, By the way, I just want to slide in here. This story is not in any way, shape or form about abortion. So you don't have to worry about that. It's just, it's kind of like a China kind of controversy kind of thing yeah. you know, where they can't have a second child. So uh, the boy, in an attempt to protect his family and his uh, new little sister who's on the way, has found the right alien for the job. He's been searching for an alien assassin and he's found him at the beginning of the story. It is such an interesting and layered story that highlights kinship and the many definitions of kinship and why this boy was so fascinated with these alien assassins to begin with. I highly recommend it. It's right up the middle schoolers alley. And it's clean, right? No potty words or anything? Um, yeah, it's clean. So I could use it in a classroom? Oh, yeah. Now, in the, I will say in the Fermi paradox, there's a few references to sex, but not like anything, you know, nothing more than what like glancing like joke reference, but you could easily like clean that up if you wanted to make it more PG. But either one of these stories I think would be great in a middle school setting. Yeah. But the kin, uh, honestly, I would recommend in a school setting for the kin by Bruce McAllister is actually to play the LeVar Burton podcast of it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Kids love to be read to no matter what age they are. And the production are. quality of it is fabulous. And LeVar Burton is such a great storyteller. And and they make the cool voices of the alien. Oh, it's just so great. And it's not very long. So you could easily like 
play it for the kids and then talk about, have, you know, plenty of time to talk about it and just talk about what kinship means, what family means, what it means to follow your calling and, and all those things. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting topics you could pull out of that story. Really cool. All right. And then my last short story, science fiction story is I really debated this. I talked to my son about it. He's like, don't include that story, mom. But honestly, I cannot get this story out of my head. And I think that's a good sign of fantastic literature. And there's also, okay, this short story is called Bloodchild by Octavia Butler. I love her. I love yeah, her. I include something from her. She's awesome. Um, she should go on our Franzia yeah. list. We should sit and stalk well, her. Well, she's dead, but sure. <laughs> I know, but we can do that. We can do it at our gravestone. We, we always, could. you know, I always have a beer with my dad at his. What <laughs> we could. Stalk her. Yes. She'll know. She's a sci-fi genius. She'll know we're there. She's probably a floating head somewhere. <laughs> she probably is. She wasn't done living, so she's out there somewhere. Right. She's probably there. She'll pop up and be like, hey, girl. <laughs> so those of you who don't know, Octavia Butler is a science fiction icon. She's an African-American science fiction writer who won a Nebula and a Hugo Award and so much more. Uh, like I said, she's no longer living, but she started her career like, is she? <laughs> <laughs> but is she? she she started her career in the 70s and her work is still very important blood child is a short story that will definitely stay with you i cannot stop thinking about it it is visually gross and disturbing like most of her work p.s <laughs> which sticks in your head and not in a good way know, right <laughs> but it really makes you think about what it means to be subjugated and even participate in your own subjugation i mean it's kind of like blows your mind a little bit. Um, it's about a small group of humans who left earth because of persecution and they landed on a planet where a worm-like species lives. And the species was nearly extinct because their reproduction involved planting eggs in a living animal, but no animals on their planet were quite strong enough to carry the larvae to term until the humans arrived. Dun, dun, dun. Here we are with our birth and hips <laughs> just for you guys, worms. <laughs> So hey. you can see where this story is headed, but um, Mrs. Butler intended for this story to be an exploration of male childbirth, Ouch. the men, he, male humans. Ouch. Yeah. But it's so, so much more than that. In fact, she's kind of surprised. She was always kind of surprised that people took more out of it. But I mean, I think that's just her genius, like oozing out of her. She couldn't even help making it about so many more things. It was so crazy. But the main character is a 12-year-old boy who's on the verge of becoming a host for his warm person. And so, and it's about what all of that means. It's a really powerful story. <laughs> really powerful. I have to say, if you have the if, if you have the the bravery to read her, then you need to do it. But it you do have to be, you know, you do have to be aware that it's heavy, it will stay in your oh, head. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think at least mine anyway. Yeah. And I mean, this story could maybe be a little bit triggering for kids who've maybe had trauma yeah. in their lives. So I would be really careful about who you have read it, but, and definitely maybe like, I would say, what, what, did, what was that category you said? Uh, lower YA. Yeah. I definitely think it would be more like, you know, eighth, ninth, 10th graders who maybe would read it and talk about it. But I, I mean, it's definitely worth it. Definitely worth it. So those are my three stories, blood child, kin, and the Fermi paradox is our business model. So those I highly recommend. I think they would be great 
And and they're those are a little bit more contemporary, a little bit different ones than you and might see. Everywhere. Well, and I went old school. Yeah, I know. That's why I so went I went, I went like really old school. We're gonna post a link in the show notes to where I pulled mine from because it's it's a website called Rethink ELA, um, English Language Arts, and it's a it gives you great ideas of what to do with these stories in in a um, ELA classroom, but again, in any classroom. You get the you can get the text of the story and then they'll follow that up with like, okay, let's look at the vocabulary from the story. Let's look at and how to use it. And it's a great little teaching tool. Um, and again, we'll we'll re- recap that and um, put it in the show notes. Yeah. So my first one's a classic, the classic, There Will Come Soft Rains by Ray Bradbury. It's part of the Martian Chronicles. Mm, I love Ray I Bradbury. He's Chronicles. just so, and it's so fun to teach this. I taught this um, right before COVID I was in the last group, right before we kind of all, the world exploded in education for COVID. And I had such a, I was working with this story with a group of kids that had auditory processing disorder and other language-based learning issues. So we really dissected this story and were able to take it apart into really small bits because the whole point is for them to learn how to how to kind of process information in a especially information that they read in a different manner. So this is what we used on one of them. And I really fell in love with this story. It's basically it's about a house and the house is all automated um, and the house is the main character. And it basically it sustained a nuclear blast in 2026. Hi, knocking on the door five years from now. Um, that was a little creepy because it seems so far away when it was written, you know, like he wrote this story. God, it would be like 70 years ago. Um, it was because it was written, I think, in the late fifth or mid 50s. Anyway, the house is automated and it doesn't realize that everyone is dead. So it just keeps doing the normal things like it makes toast. It gets everybody's breakfast ready. The alarm keeps announcing the time because there is a family that owned the house that had um, a, a mother, a father, and two children. And we know that because their shapes are imprinted on the wall following the blast. The family dog does live, but not for long, because when he returns to the house, he quickly dies from radiation. And the house doesn't know, like the house doesn't realize that it's over until um, the wildfires start to take over. And when the wildfires kind of come, that's the only way that the house is like, oh, it's over. And it kind of melts the automation. And um, it just kind of proves that, nature always will win over man's inventions, which is, that was kind of cool. So nature, fine, not nature one in the end, fire one in the end. It's a classic, but it's got so many great things to digest. I would say that's a good one to use with like fifth and sixth graders. It's a, it's great for younger kids. The next one, of course, is my all time favorite, Harrison Bergeron by Kurt Vonnegut Jr. You know, Vonnegut, he's an indie boy. He's your guy. He's your guy, but it's 2081. Thank God. It's a little bit later, not 2025. (laughs) That was too far. Um, and, And people have to be equalized by being handicapped by the handicapper general. The handicapper general sends out the handicaps. So for example, George and Hazel are the parents of Harrison and they are watching two ballerinas on television who they have like bags of bird shot around them so that their dancing's not too beautiful. George is really, really intelligent. So he has a constant buzz. He has to wear this helmet and there's a buzz every time he thinks for long, for very long. And he starts to form a kind of a coherent intellectual thought. Then the buzz goes off. So he's distracted and he won't be smarter than anyone else. I don't know why I fell in love with the story as a kid, but I loved this story. I just thought it was so great. Harrison is their son and he's like tall and beautiful. And they arrest him when he's 14 because they think that, you know, he could, he's going to do bad things. Um, the handicapper general sentences him, but yet he seems to like overcome all of the handicaps that she keeps giving him. 
and he breaks free in the middle of the courtroom and he busts onto the television and he's trying to like point out like we don't need to live this way we don't need to live this way take off your handicaps and then he has the um the the ballerinas take them off and they start to he's on in the television studio they start to dance and the band takes their handicaps off and they they start to play and then of course the handicapper general and very um typical american fashion comes in and shoots him so there's that so that is a trigger on that one um if they're like a lot of times you, it's not cool to use guns right, in school. Um, so that is something, now. you know, to be aware of. Yeah. Right. Right. Back in the seventies, it was fine. Um, and the last one is this one is my all time oh, favorite yeah. ever since I did this. I was in a version of this play back in 1986. Thank you very much. In my freshman year of high school, I was, I believe town lady number four <laughs> was my debut. I was fabulous. I had no lines. But I did wear a nice prairie skirt. Um, and it's The Lottery by Shirley Jackson. Shirley Jackson's a master. She's brilliant. She's amazing. Everything she wrote. I mean, again, I think we should put her grave on our list of people to go to go see as well. So The Lottery is, it's a small town. Residents in a small town every year have to gather in the small town and draw a piece of paper. And if their piece of paper has the black dot on it, then that's it. You're done. Um, I think this the reason I love this one and the reason I picked this one is last year for homeschool, I gave this to my older son who was in seventh grade and we read this and he just was like, he just kept thinking he didn't get it. And I'm like, no, you got it. He's like, no, that can't. That's just so horrible. It's just such a horrible thing that they would just every year they're going to choose to kill someone. I'm like, yeah. He's like, no, this can't be it. There has to be more. And there's a really great low budget. So I think it looks maybe from the 80s, from the late 80s or something, a, a movie version of it on YouTube. That was so awesome to use in conjunction with the story. So we read the story. We, there's a lot of great free resources online. I will say too, really quick, there's a Star Trek episode. Really? Star Trek Next Generation episode where they come across a world where they'd been at war for so long that they never, they decided to, instead of destroying their cities and bombing their cities and everything, they decided to do a virtual war. And so if you get a notification that your area was virtually bombed, then you have to go and dispose of yourself in these incinerators. <gasps> yeah. It, it makes me, th- it always makes, made me think of that story. The oh, that would be so, and so awesome the to combine. Star Trek crew comes in and tries to convince them to end the war. Like, why don't you just end the war? Why are you killing yourself? That's insane. But Because the war basically had kept the peace. I know it doesn't make any sense, but anyway, yeah. So, oh wow, that's and that was from Star Trek Next, Next Generation. Generation. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm always down with like anything yeah. that you can tie in because I think that helps kids so much because this is an old story. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a really old story. So anything that can kind of help kids understand it better or bring it into modern perspective, although it's really not hard to bring it into modern perspective. You could do this as there's free readers theater versions. You can read it as a play in your classroom. You could, you know, there's so many great things. That's why I chose these three because there are a ton of online free resources, question, answer, vocabulary packets, anything you can, you can find them all online for nothing. Um, and to be able to use those, to pull them into the classroom. And like I mentioned, they were all, all the texts are available online for free as well. So, and you know, we teachers, we need free resources whenever we can get them because it's a, it's, it's tough. So yeah, those are some great ones. There's some old classics because that's me. I'm an old classic. <laughs> yeah. 
That's why I went more contemporary. I just thought it'd be a good balance. So we got a little bit of everything for you on those short those stories. Those are some great ones. I'm going to, I'm going to go read those that you suggested. Oh my gosh, though, you those should. look really good. I love a short story. Super fast reads. And then you just have so much to think about for the rest of the day. I love it. And you know what else is really good too? Just on the same token, um, if you, it's a, a website called Squishy the Squid and they have uh, sci-fi stories once a month. They send you a sci-fi story. Oh, that's stories. adorable. It's really, yeah. And they're short. They're short, but they're really good. Yeah. Okay. I have to write that down. All right. So what's up for our next episode? Believe it or not, for our next episode, we're getting all sporty spice up in here. <laughs> Um, oh, P.S. I feel like now totally justified in being Sporty Spice because as I mentioned yesterday, we were at the Basketball Hall of Fame. And when you get to the end, spoiler alert, you you there's a giant um, hall where you shoot baskets and you can shoot all the different kinds of baskets or whatever. And this woman came up to me and she was she had played basketball in college and she's like, girl, you got a really nice shot. And I felt so validated. Mm-hmm. I was like, um, could you say that again next to my husband? So he heard that because <laughs> I made like all my baskets. P.S. I have been playing basketball with my oldest son since he was old enough to dribble. So, yeah, I mean, I've developed some skills in his 13 years of life. But when that woman came up and she was all about basketball and she was like a foot taller than me and she definitely looked like someone who knew what she was talking about. And she's like, you got a good shot. I was like, call me Sporty Spice. (laughs) Yeah, girl. Validation at its finest. So because of that, we're going to do (laughs) doing a sports theme because now I'm an athlete. I'm a fat athlete. Yes. Look at me go. So we're going to read sports themes booked. Um, This is huge. I mean, my, my kids are absolutely sport nuts. So I'm really happy that we're doing this. I'm not always a fan of reading about sports, but I want to do this because I think we need to read more about them. Our first book that we're going to read is This is Fabulous. I already started reading it. It's called Before the Ever After by Jacqueline Woodson. Mm, We love her, aka Brown Girl Dreaming. And it's about the effects of life after the NFL on a family. You know what's really fascinating about that? I'm looking forward to reading that. But, you know, uh, Mary Wynn Hader has a book like that, too. Really? And it's brand new. Her second book is called Losers at the Center of the Galaxy. And that's sort of a sports adjacent theme is what I called it because it was about the family trauma created by a former football playing dad who's suffering from brain injuries. So I think that's really cool that there's books like this out there for families. It is. Yeah. And I have a very good friend who's in that position and they're they're in that same position. And I think it's awesome that there's representation in books because, you know, the NFL, what we see and what we watch on television is a very small number of people considering like who's affected. And this has been going on for years and years and years. The ramifications of those few, you know, the average lifespan of an NFL player in the league is three years. Career span, I shouldn't say lifespan. Career span is three years. The average player spends three years. That's a tiny amount of time. And the ramifications last forever and are can be deadly. So I'm really excited that people are tackling yes. this subject. I think it's great. And I think that a lot of kids that are massive football nuts, like even like my own kids, can can read about this and see that it's more than just a game and not in a good right. way. So um, I'm excited about that. I think, you know, we have been a football family for many, many years and we have we pulled the plug on it this uh, um we pulled the plug on it this year. This is our first year not playing football. And it's weird. It's so weird. But I also I want my kids to have a brain. So there we go. Right. I don't want them to be beat around anymore because they're not very big. <laughs> <laughs> because there comes a time when you get to be about 13 where everybody else is way, way big. Those are big boys and mine are not. So we I mean, we had that same thing too, because my son played hockey until it became he got to the age where they could start checking and 
all that. Yeah, when they're yeah. a lot bigger than your kid, you and it's there's scary. a lot of concussions in the NHL too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's our that's the one we're going to talk about. Um, I, I think we're going to have a great discussion about that. Um, I'm reading Ten Thousand Tries, which I did plug this in a podcast of, of like books that were coming out this summer that we were excited about, and that's a good one too. And that's about soccer cool. and a former soccer dad, a, a dad who is a former soccer player who uh, gets a- ALS, which is going to be cool too because my husband's father was a former soccer player, so oh, cool. professional that's soccer right. player. So it'll be cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I get it's so funny because we went all sporty spice, but then we picked really serious, heavy books about sports. <laughs> The book that I picked is called Chirp by Kate Messner. And I picked it because I love Kate Messner, but it is about a girl who is a former gymnast and who eventually uncovers some trauma that she had through gymnastics. Torn from the headlines. Exactly. So if you're a follower of of gymnastic headlines and all that, it should be a good one for that, which I thought was really cool that, that that's being covered as well. So. All right. So I guess that wraps up this episode. If you've liked what you've heard, leave us a review, subscribe and share us, please. Thank you. We appreciate any word that you can share about us. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And if you can uh, leave us a review, just say a few things, even like, like let's have Chardonnay or something fabulous, (laughs) just because that, that bumps us a little further up in the ratings than just, just, just the stars. So um, hey, girls, here's some box wine for you. That's always a, that, then we know you really listen to us. Then we know. Yeah, that, that's it. Or you could say, so. hey, Heather, I love Harry Potter, too. And it's OK. <laughs> or you could say, hey, Heather, you're a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. All right. Well, if you share us, we'll love you forever. And um, and we won't hunt you down. We will not remove you from our Franzia list either. So if if, if the review is bad. We can't promise we won't be at your front door <laughs> or me. I'm the bitter one. She's the nice one. Go on. So if you want to join us twice a month for Kidlet Discussions, please subscribe to our podcast through any of the places you get your podcasts. And if you want to find out what's happening in our world, you can follow us on TWO Lit Mama's podcast on Instagram, where I pit post all kinds of things <laughs> um, that might be ridiculous, like the tiny frog on my fence Aww. or my child and I in the hammock reading a book um, or my coffee. <laughs> I like to post my coffee in the backyard or stay tuned. Maybe it's hurricane pictures. Who's to oh, say? Yeah. Um, or follow us on Tulip Mamas on Facebook and on our website, www.tulipmamas.com. And have a great week. Yes, thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. bye.